right, guys, we are back for a little time of Q&A and hope you were stirred up and encouraged by Jordan's message as I was. And so we're just going to jump right in. Uh, the first question uh, that we have is what sh habits should be in my life as a Christian to position myself as a learner? Yeah, I mean, the one that I that I mentioned that's been really helpful for me lately is listening prayer, um, which is a little bit of a learning curve, right? Um, because what, what does that mean to not speak in prayer and try and understand how God speaks to you? And I, I think I'd just encourage you with, it's okay to not know how to do that at first. The way that you get better at something is you practice it and you do it and you figure out how to do it. Um, and that's okay. But I would say the primary way that God speaks to his people by his spirit is through his word. So what that looks like for me is I try to get really quiet. Cause what I find out is when I'm praying, my brain is all over the place and, and I'm really distracted and often tense. And so even just the quietness itself helps me uh, doing this on prayer walks has been sweet for me lately. Um, but then I just say, yeah, God, would you speak to me? And I, and if a scripture comes to mind, then I try to meditate on that scripture. If I get kind of an impression or if a person comes to mind, then I'll start praying for that person. But I, I'm trying to figure out how to let God set the agenda for my prayer life. Um, and that goes along with meditation on scripture. So I think sometimes when I come across a Bible verse that I don't understand or is frustrating to me, my instinct is to get like, angry at my confusion, maybe not angry, but just, uh, frustrated by it and either move on or, um, go quick to figure out what somebody else has said about it. But I'm trying to slow down and just sit with it and say, God, I don't understand this. There's some confusion in my soul. I believe that you're in that lack of understanding. Um, and so meditation on scripture has been, has been big, but yeah. How about you? Yeah. I mean, I like the question because I think that it gets to the heart of the matter. You know, you can go through your Bible reading, you can go through your prayer, you can be doing all of the right things externally. That seems to be what Ecclesiastes is saying. The person's going to the right place, doing the right things, but Christianity is not a matter of our outward duties, but a ma matter of the heart. And so I would say, one of, the, one of the things is just to recognize that reality and just to say, oh, maybe I've actually been doing the right things with the wrong heart attitude. I've been doing them to try to be impressive to God rather than to, to bow my heart before God. And so I would say if those practices are in place, I mean, the, we talk about those practices a lot of prayer, of Bible reading, of being in community, but it's actually starting to do those things uh, with a dependent attitude yeah. rather than a prideful attitude. Let me throw in one more thing that I, that I forgot that's been helpful for me. I'm trying to learn how to learn from every person in my life. So I'm trying to learn from Graham right now, and I'm trying to learn from anyone. So, so we have a concept of having somebody older in your life who's investing in you, which if you don't have that, that's a great thing to look for. But also, can you learn from someone who hasn't been following Jesus as long as you, who maybe doesn't know as much as you? 
um, because the Holy Spirit is constantly using things that we're encountering in the world to teach us about things. And so, yeah, that's been, that's been helpful for me. I thought this also was a, a perceptive question, you know, because there can be this heart of a learner that comes before God. But one of the questions that came in was, what do I do when I ask God for help and it doesn't seem to come? Yeah. I mean, I've got some thoughts, right? Um, but also I want to acknowledge that any formulaic answer to that can be discouraging. So, so here's what I mean is Ecclesiastes, I think, is pushing back on cute, easy Christian answers. And I want to acknowledge that being in that place where you feel like you badly need help and it seems like no one is helping you uh, is really hard. And that's not fixed by a couple senses and an answer. Um, but I do want to, I think something I'm trying to learn in my life is instead of leaning out in those moments and becoming frustrated and feeling like, well, God isn't really answering my prayer. So I'm, I'm going to stop praying that, or I'm kind of alone, assuming that he's distant from me. I'm trying to assume that God has something for me in the middle of that tension. And when I'm in moments of tension in my life, where I don't understand or I'm confused or there's something that I want to go one way that's going another, those have been some of the times that I've learned the most about God. And I'm able to look back on those moments and see his faithfulness. And so I think part of it is just patience. Stay there. Maybe God wants you in that moment. The other thing I would say is he, he is a helper. He identifies himself as that in the Bible, which is wild to me but he doesn't always help you the way that you think you need help, which is frustrating, but is good. Something I've heard Drew say before is God answers the prayers you would have prayed if you knew everything that he knows. That helps me so much. And so I try and like step back a minute, be patient and say, well, maybe, maybe there's something God's trying to teach me in this moment and he is helping me. It just might not look the way that I thought it would look for God to help me. Yeah. And I would say... Uh, just be patient because with God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And so it's Im impossible to figure out what he's doing while he's doing it. And so you're not alone. Any Christian who has kind of dived below the surface has experienced that reality in their walk with Christ. And so I just want you to know that as a pastor and, and spiritual leader, it's like I don't have an inside track to getting my prayers answered by God. <laughs> in fact, I, I think sometimes <laughs> God likes to frustrate me in that same area so that I can have compassion on, on other people within our church. And so there's a huge list of prayers in my life and sometimes the most deep and uh, meaningful desires in my life, even good desires, God has left unanswered or with a no. Um, and I think that that's, that's a way that he's kept me humble. So, yeah. Okay. This is going to be a little bit of a, 
a monkey wrench, but we don't want to avoid hard questions in this. We said ask anything, so oh. here we go. So what steps is Salt City looking to take to ensure ethnic and racial diversity in leadership in the church going forward? So I think the first thing I, I want to acknowledge in that question, and bear with me because I'm external processing here, which is dangerous, but I'm trying to guard it, um, is there's an assumption that that is a good thing, which we agree with. That, that is a very biblical idea um, that God um, is redeeming the entire world and all people are an aspect of that redemption and people who are different, not only um, in race, but in socioeconomic background, in perspective, um, where they grew up, all, all kinds of differences are a demonstration of the broad reaching effects of God's redemption of the world. So that is a good thing that all Christians should care about. And we care about it and we're praying about it. I, I, we've been praying about it since the beginning of our church that God would raise up leaders uh, within the life of Salt City who come from diverse backgrounds. And we want to be a church like that. The reality is, practically, uh, it's, it's not simple. <laughs> There's an incredible amount of factors that go into figuring out leadership for a church, and a lot of them are, um, yeah, who we're in circles of relationship with. And so step one that I'm praying is that our church would continue to be more and more diverse, in a lot of ways, again, uh, not only in race, but in a lot of areas, uh, and that we could represent God's heart for all people. And, and I think God has started to answer that, actually. Um, just because something isn't all the way where we want it to be um, doesn't mean that there hasn't been some answer to prayer in that. Um, and so I think that's step number one. And then out of that, that God would help leaders to emerge from our, our church body. So yeah, what would, what would you add? Yeah, I would say uh, we are praying. I mean, right now we're praying, we're asking God that he would do that. But I think we're less than a three-year-old church. And so we also are recognizing that what we would like to happen quickly often happens more slowly and with a fight. And so we believe that all people um, are made in the image of a holy God. And the vision of our future that, that is absolutely certain is in Revelation, that people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language are going to be around the throne of Jesus singing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And so if that's our certain future as Christians, we would love for that to be part of our future reality as a church family. And so it really just happens one relationship at a time and believe that that would really have to be a work of God that he does in our midst. So it's not something like many things in the, in the Christian faith 
you can't just manufacture that. It's not as simple as just making a phone call or um, pulling a person out of a hat, but it's something that God has to do. So yeah. we would love for him to do that. Yeah. All right. Another tough question um, is what are some resources for somebody who is struggling with intellectual doubts? And they specifically mentioned evolution, the resurrection of Jesus, kind of those big uh, yep. questions. So they're fighting for faith, it sounds like, but they are struggling with doubt. How would you encourage that person? Yeah, so a lot of thoughts. Let me give you a, a couple. Um, and if we go back and forth, that's great too. Um, one is, I, I think a great resource is Reason for God by Tim Keller. Uh, you also can find lectures that Keller does on YouTube that are addressing the question of why is it rational for a modern person to believe in God? And it, they're phenomenal. And he, he, he will do a far better job than, than I can do with that. I, I think in your questioning, what I would encourage you um, is in particular with the resurrection is the resurrection is, is the linchpin of Christianity. If you can disprove the resurrection, you've disproved Christianity. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 15. But if the resurrection is the best explanation for what happened in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, which I think is actually pretty clear when you study the evidence, um, then Christianity is true. And so I would encourage you, focus on the resurrection. And as you do that, the New Testament accounts of the life of Jesus and the resurrection have to be part of your source material. So here could be the temptation is to say, I, I need a, uh, a unbiased perspective on this. So I'm going to look for sources outside of the New Testament to try and discover this question. And I get the instinct in that, um, but it's not actually unbiased to rule out the primary source that describes the life of Jesus because that's assuming that the Bible isn't reliable and trustworthy. When, when you look at the textual evidence, it's categorically the most trustworthy ancient book that we have in the manuscript evidence in the numbers of manuscript that we have. Um, and so you have to use it as source material. And, and I would just say, read the Bible, <laughs> read the New Testament accounts of Jesus and see if you're not compelled by them but also know that it's okay to have questions, to have doubts. Uh, and we love that you're a part of this conversation and we want to engage with those questions as best that we know how. You don't have to have all the answers in order to be a part of a church community. All of us are navigating through questions that we have. I have to navigate through questions that I have about the resurrection of Jesus periodically. So we love that you're a part of it. Uh, this is a good spot for you. Keep asking questions. Maybe jump in a connection group, reach out to our staff. We'll do the best we can to help you. Yeah, I, I'd like to introduce to a theological category for you to think in, and that's the category of indwelling sin. And so the Bible talks about once you become a Christian, how you're given a new heart. So, um, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so you're given this new heart and this new nature, but that new nature doesn't do away with the old man. And so there's always going to be this battle between faith and doubt. 
Because actually, it's not just that the old man is a doubter. It's that the old man, the Bible says, is actually at enmity with God. So the old man is a rebel. And so we wake up every single day and there is part of us that is in rebellion against God. And that's helpful to me because we don't need to be surprised because I think sometimes we're like, wait, am I a Christian? Because I have these doubts and these, yeah. these really um, difficult intellectual doubts. And I think that when you can recognize that that is part of your old nature, that that's not actually who you are anymore because of your union with Christ and you are linked to him forever, God calls you a saint, then it becomes uh, God, the Holy Spirit, fighting against your doubts with you rather than you as a doubter fighting against the holy God, which as Jordan talked about this morning is a losing battle. And so I would encourage you to fight side by side with God, but you really have to declare your doubt, maybe something uh, that you're not ready to call it, and you, you actually call it by the biblical name, not doubt, but sin and foolishness, because the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so although we're like, yes, Salt City Church is a safe place for doubters, we also want doubters to bow the knee before Jesus because our doubt does not win in that relationship. And and I would add to you, being a Christian does not mean that you reject science. Um, it, It means that God through his word is your authority Uh, because his word is the primary source of truth. Um, But I've seen in my life, um, science point me to Christ in a lot of ways. And Christianity is not anti-intellectual. It's just fighting back on the assumption that so much of the modern world has, that the world is a entirely materialistic, naturalistic place. So it, it will be our, all of our instincts to assume naturalism and to rule out some of the things that the Bible says is true about the world. But that's the exact question that we're asking. So we can't start from that assumption. So again, invite you back to the Bible and say, don't start with a naturalistic assumption that wars against what scripture is teaching. Consider it for what it is and see if it resonates with you um, with what's true about the world. Yeah, a couple more names to throw out there that have been helpful to me personally in sort of the apologetics realm would be a guy named Francis Collins. He wrote a book called The Language of God. And then another guy who's wrote, written a lot of books uh, named John Lennox. And I would actually point you to a YouTube video where he debates Richard Dawkins at the Natural Hist- History Museum at Oxford. He's a mathematics professor at Oxford. And then another person I would point you to is C.S. Lewis and to read Mere Christianity. To me, that's the best apologetics book that there is and has been super helpful for me. So I think engaging the life of the mind, we would say, man, that's that's super important and and can be super helpful. Okay, let's end on this question. Um, You talked a lot about admitting that we're fools and you connected that to the gospel, but how do I admit that I am a fool 
without being crushed by that reality? Yeah. It's a great, it's a great question. Cause I, I think it, I had a lot of that wrestle over the last couple of weeks as I was studying this text of, I felt like I was getting crushed by it in some senses, which we were just talking before the service and Jeremiah, it actually says God's word is like a hammer. So God's word does that to you. So I would, what I would say is the answer is to not, uh, not be crushed by it. The answer is let yourself be crushed by it and find a savior who loves you in the middle of your foolishness. So your instinct to solve the problem will be to get your act together to not be a fool. And so what you'll be looking for is a way that God affirms some non-foolishness in you. But actually what you need, that will never actually solve the problem because is it, is it true that there's goodness in you? Absolutely, you're made in the image of God. Uh, you have a lot of instincts that are largely good. Um, but that will never solve your problem because you'll always have the other piece to that goodness, that fool inside of you, we all do. And so uh, the answer is to let yourself be crushed by the weight of it and let Jesus pick you up. So Jesus is gentle and kind with fools. He, with people who agreed with him on the brokenness of their life, he picked them up. He didn't crush them. There's all kinds of examples throughout the gospels of Jesus affirming and lifting up the social outcasts. I think of the woman at the well who has been foolish in almost every way that you could imagine. And Jesus engages with her and respects her um, and ultimately, it's through her agreeing with him about the foolishness of her own life that she is, uh, she's able to start living a more wise life in Christ. So let him be kind to you, even as you feel the crushing weight of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's end on that word, just the word of hope that we have in the gospel, that although we are fools, God, by some miraculous series of events in sending his son Jesus to the cross has actually said that he embraces us in our foolishness if we'll just admit that we are foolish and we'll run to him. So let's do that together and I'll pray and then we'll we'll end our time together. Um, Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you demonstrate that love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still foolish, while we were still your enemies, while we still were running away from you, you died for us. And what that means for us today is that we can recognize foolishness in our lives without being crushed by it. We can recognize foolishness in our lives and we can say, yeah, that's right, I I am foolish. And we can be embraced by you while at the same time being interrogated by you. And so I actually want you to, to invite you um, into our lives to interrogate us, God. Show us our foolishness. Show us the ways that we're still in rebellion against you. Show us our doubts and our fears so that um, that can be the threshold of our relationship with you, that that we can no longer run away from you, but in our helplessness can run toward you and find the healing that you offer to us.
I pray this all in Jesus' name.